Hey, welcome to the debut episode of City Papers Podcast. I'm Alex Gordon. All right, let's start with this. That's a working title. This thing is untitled because, although accurate, City Paper Podcast is just a shitty name. Granted, we have a blog called Politicrap, but that's because our editor has the sense of humor of a fourth grader. His words. More on that later. So we could have gone with something startup-y, like Pitcast, or Podsberg, or Seep. I kind of like Seep, actually. Like CP Seep? I don't know. But the smartest thing for us was just to leave the thing untitled and explain to you that this podcast is a weekly opportunity to jump into our news stories with a little bit more depth. Kind of like an audio version of our newspaper, but with a little bit more about how we reported each story and how our reporters felt about reporting them. The stuff that doesn't really have a place on paper but still matters to the story. No constraints of ink or space and a bunch more opportunities to be even weirder. So, again, welcome to City Paper's Untitled Podcast. I'm Alex Gordon. In this episode, episode 001, that's also a working title, we're talking to City Paper staff writer Rebecca Nuttall about her interview with Pittsburgh Mayor Bill Peduto last week. We're also checking in with the City Paper editor Charlie Deach, who will explain what Politicrap is all about. Lastly, we'll let you know what's on tap for the weekend and swing by one of the newest places in Pittsburgh for a drink, Smallman Galley. Stick around. All right, let's get started. Let's check in with CP staff writer Rebecca Nuttall about her chat with Mayor Peduto last week. All right, Becca, so you've interviewed Mayor Peduto in the past, and then last week marked two years uh, and a little a little more than that uh, since his inauguration. Did he strike you as any different than he's been in the past when uh, speaking with media? So I'm not sure that he was any different than my experience with him interviewing him the year before, but our experience in general was different in that The first year, the piece I did was more of a shadowing him and seeing what he does every day. And this piece, we really wanted to hone in on some very specific topics that we wanted to ask him about. All right, so let's jump into it. So there were some things that both the council and the mayor have supported and passed that are getting some legal pushback now, like uh, paid sick leave and gun control. Can you give me uh, some backstory on those issues? So when it comes to the gun control issue, the legislation um, that the city has on the books is a lost and stolen gun ordinance, which requires gun owners to report whether if their guns are lost or stolen. Um, It was actually passed when the mayor was still on council, but it was a commitment that he made during his campaign that he would enforce the legislation when he got into office because it has never been enforced. Well, shortly after he got into office, he there was an NRA lawsuit against municipalities that have passed similar lost and stolen gun legislation. So to date, the legislation has not um, been enforced, and the mayor um, says that he's not sure whether or not he's going to enforce it. And it's actually, he said that he would consider launching some kind of public relations campaign to educate gun owners about the legislation and um, where to report if their guns have been lost or stolen. But that's the same answer he told me last year when I asked him about lost and stolen Mm. gun legislation, and the PR campaign has never been launched. All right, let's hear what he has to say. What it would do is to allow people to know of the law and where and how to report lost and stolen handguns. But even in that case in Philadelphia, there weren't prosecutions of carrying out the law because of the inevitable lawsuit that would follow. So 
although we won the lawsuit and we have the ability to keep the law that we have, there still is a legal hurdle that we are working with advocates for gun safety to be able to overcome. Okay, another area of pushback has been workers' rights, and the mayor has the final say on whether to keep fighting for paid sick leave. Did he say if he would? He did say he, that he would. Um, there was some confusion, actually, among activists and among city council about whether or not the mayor's office had any legal standing to challenge the lawsuit, but in our interview with the mayor, he did say that he would challenge it. We are the only industrialized country on earth that does not provide workers paid sick leave. And the only reason we don't is because special interests block it in Washington from even coming up. So cities and states throughout the country have been taking the issue on directly and are the ones that have been able to show that workers' rights matter within their cities and states. In Pittsburgh, we've lost the opportunity. We've fallen behind these other cities and states that tell people it's a place where you would want to work. And it's not a battle that we're going to give in on. Okay, so obviously police brutality uh, and community relations with the police has become uh, an urgent issue both nationally and locally over the past couple of years. The uh, Wood Street incident late last year being the most recent example locally. What did the mayor have to say about this issue? So I did a pretty in-depth piece on our chief of police, Chief Cameron McClay, last year. And he is a textbook example of, you know, what a chief should be if the chief cares about police community relations and and reducing police brutality. He's, you know, he talks at a bunch of different places about implicit bias and the training that his officers need to have to be able to recognize that, you know, they are racial racial profiling if they are. Um, So when I interviewed Mayor Peduto, I said, you know, you've done a really great job of hiring this chief who obviously cares about the issue of police brutality and community relations. But I, you know, am wondering still, in light of that incident at Wood Street Station, if that message is trickling down to the rank and file officers. And he said that he believes it is, but that it takes time. You're dealing with culture change. Uh, There's significant amount of uh, history that has been built up uh, not, and I'm not singling out the Pittsburgh Bureau of Police, but within policing. And you're trying to deal with it while at the same time keeping morale. So a lot of the initiatives that we're pursuing, and when I say that, it is a partnership with the chief, and I have his back fully on what he is, what he is doing, um, need to have either the buy-in or come with the support of the rank and file. So with uh, a little over two years uh, in office so far, a lot of attention has been paid to uh, Mayor Peduto's relationship with city council, given obviously his past uh, on the council and also his ability to reach across the aisle to get uh, budgets and get things done uh, in his administration so far. Did you ask him about that? So I did. Um, I've been covering council for the city paper for a year now, and um when you go to council meetings today, there's no longer these really contentious fights that you used to see in years past. And 
there seems to be only one counselor who's really against the mayor, and that would be um, Councilwoman Darlene Harris. But the rest of council seems to be very in line with his positions, and I was just interested in talking with him about, you know, why that relationship exists and what it's really like behind closed doors. Because obviously what we see on, you know, in council chambers and what we see on the television when we're watching these council meetings, you know, there doesn't appear to be any fighting, but that doesn't mean that that's what's going on behind the scenes. Right. I think that we have a council which has actually made legislation that we have authored better by the changes that they have done. And that is something that only happens when you have divergent voices looking at it through that lens. And the moment that we take that as a threat, we lose that and we create a system that is no better than a rubber stamp. All right, affordable housing has been a contentious issue in Pittsburgh recently, uh, and gentrification has become a big concern in neighborhoods like East Liberty. Last year, Councilman Lavelle proposed a plan uh, to rectify this and kind of keep tabs on how we develop these neighborhoods. Can you tell me about that plan? So the resolution that Councilman Lavelle proposed last year would have required new developments to include 30% affordable housing, just straight across the board. Um, A couple weeks or maybe even a month later, that resolution was changed into a resolution establishing the affordable housing task force that we have today. And, you know, that task force is obviously looking at these issues. And according to my conversation with Mayor Peduto last week, there are reasons he believes why, you know, having a straight um, requirement across the board of affordable housing would not work. Yeah, he drew you a graph. Yes. So the graph he drew um, basically took a look at um, wealthy people who rent, wealthy people who own, low-income people who rent, and low-income people who own. And um, the verdict is basically from Mayor Perdido's standpoint that low-income people who rent have no control over where they live because developers can come in and they can raise rents. And since they don't own their property, they are ultimately displaced. And that's what he's trying to address with his new um, program that would use federal funding to increase homeownership among low-income families. The best way to look at it, and this is how I look at it, it's if you make a chart just like this. You have own, rent, uh, rich, poor. Just a simple chart like that, own, rent, rich, poor. And if you own and you're rich, and the assessments go up and the value of the property goes up, you become richer. It's, it's not a problem. I mean, in fact, it's a benefit. The shady side, home ownership, and all of a sudden people that had half a million homes are now worth 1.2 million. If you own and you're poor and the amounts go up, we've gone through that. We went through that with Bloomfield, with the South Side, with Lawrenceville, with Polish Hill. This is mainly white blue-collar neighborhoods, what we found was the biggest challenge, and we addressed it, 
was the property taxes. And we made it so that the property taxes for seniors were able to receive a greater benefit. And then after the reassessment, we lowered the millage rate, so we didn't see many people being forced out of their home. But what they did get is a home value now that a person in Bloomfield seven years ago that had a place for 50,000 now can sell it for 170, and they have more money than their pension, and they're able to retire. So it's a benefit there too. When you rent and you're rich, the eastern part of Shadyside, Friendship, Lawrenceville, um, the examples are it's where the people go next. So the person that all of a sudden the rent becomes high is the one that discovers the next neighborhood, and then they move there, and then they move to the next neighborhood. And it keeps the urban flow going of revitalizing neighborhood after neighborhood. So there's a benefit there as well. But when you're poor and you rent, you're displaced. There's no benefit. There's nothing that happens to you other you have no place to live. And then you start to see it happen up and down your street and down the next street. And now all of a sudden you don't have a neighborhood to live in. This is where the attention needs to be put. So when Councilman Lavelle says, well, it needs to apply to all, the folks in Bloomfield went in agree. The folks that are down in parts of Lawrenceville would probably say there are areas that needs to happen and not, but that decision's better made within the neighborhood itself. But when it applies to areas and we can map it and find where we have the highest number of rentals, where we have the highest number of Section 8 and low-income residents, and we start to put together a plan to make it affordable in those areas. We can establish, some, like we're doing in the Hill District, with the new wealth coming from the Hill and moving up into the Middle Hill, taking the wealth from Shadyside, moving part of it into East Liberty. We can now focus in specifically and strategically in the neighborhoods that face the greatest threat and put the best resources to it. And by creating the new wealth from new market rate housing, we actually will have the money to do it, other than the other option, which is never seeing it developed and trying to solve this problem with no money. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank you. All right, now let's go to City Paper Editor Charlie Deach, here to explain our new blog and how it got that name. All right, so last week, City Paper added a new section to our blog called Politocrat. Yeah. You want to tell me about that? <laughs> well, how was, we arrived there. Yeah, it was one of those things that uh, we wanted to do a political blog for a while, and I don't know. I always – so here's my problem. Here's, here's been my biggest problem since becoming editor is I always come up with these uh, kind of ridiculous, outlandish ideas and titles. And previously, there's been somebody to stop me, but now that, now that there's not <laughs> anyone to stop me – a lot of this shit just ends up <laughs> getting on a web page or on, on a, in, a, in a paper. What do you have? Do you have any topics coming up on it? We have a piece today. Um, we have a piece today on the deadline is now until I think until Friday. Uh, there's a dead or is the period for which um, Democrats running for office can seek the endorsement of the county Democratic committee. Okay. They basically go in, plunk down three thousand dollars to try and get the you know basically to try and get blessed by the Pope so you can have a candidacy that can actually raise money because unfortunately, um, you know, the Democratic Party, you know, exists, you know, to help get their candidates elected. And, and you know, it is what it is, but it is, a, it is a, if you have that endorsement, you're going to be able to fundraise pretty simply and pretty easily, I think. So 
Um, so we have that, and we'll just, as candidates announce, you know, for the next week or two, we'll yeah. start covering, we, you know, we'll, we'll be doing some interviews with candidates and so forth. And um, we had sort of a political crap last week when uh, Katie McGinty, who's running for U.S. Senate, came to town and uh, the Pat Toomey campaign. We've, first of all, we've never gotten a call from Pat Toomey, Republican Pat Toomey's campaign in the since 2005 since i've been here and all of a sudden they're calling to say hey we noticed that the person who made this comment probably works for katie mcginty and of course we looked it up it looks like they do oh. uh then well their linkedin profiles and so forth said they did the mcginty campaign said she was overzealous in announcing her uh <laughs> you know that she wasn't exactly a, a staffer at that point so you know again that's like the fucking you know definition of politicraft yeah, in my yeah. opinion so and it's it's only just begun because you know i mean at this point uh i've been here since 2005 and you know it's the same people involved just maybe different campaigns so i was gonna say they're like the, the same exact yeah it is yeah. it's it's all yeah the the, the 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 names are the same for the candidates they're also the same for the people behind the scenes right. you know the same campaign advisors the same strategists and so you kind of know what they're going to do they're just going to change the names on press releases and so forth but there you know to that end there are some pretty creative folks out there so you know it's going to also be our job to sort of parse the crap from the what's actually right, yeah, important yeah. to the voters so see shit's not i think shit's gotten a bad rap in it this has, country yeah. yeah so we're trying to we're trying to legitimize shit basically oh, wow. is what we're trying to do we're trying to bring we're trying to polish the turd as it were and put it on a shelf of prominence wow. i don't know isn't that nice so isn't that classy, something to believe yeah. in yeah it is and if nothing else i'm classy yeah I think it's most a new day say. it is a new day in city paper <laughs> oh i do think sometimes i do need to be reined back in but uh yeah i so. think ashley murray's maybe a she may be a bad influence on you she told me that she just once you had the idea she was just like let's just run with yeah it. she yeah. did she ran with it uh and she, she liked she liked the idea, although she said she warned me about that I would probably have some second thoughts. But I don't remember that point. I just remember. See, in in, in my head, my remembrance of the meeting is I came up with this brilliant idea, and she cheered and like right, did the yeah. wave and shit, and we just politicrap was born, you know. And then again, the great uh, arts art artistic direction of Lisa Cunningham again <laughs> carried my vision to the web. So yeah, you know, it, it's not the worst thing on the internet. That's always my motto. As long as it's not the worst thing on the internet. You know, as long as there's German scat porn out there, I'm still a step above that. So, that's my uh, that's my goal. All right, so we have a lot to look forward to. Then. We do, we do. Yeah. It'll be a good, I think it'll be good. It's going to have good content, even if you disagree with it. You know, even if you don't like the name or if it turn, the name, the name will turn people off because people have reactions to things and they can't, you know, they can't see past, they can't see the joke or get past the yeah. whatever offense they might have. But you know, well, uh, it'll be fun. If our listeners have any thoughts about this either direction, you can check out our Facebook page, Pittsburgh City Paper, or tweet at us at PGH City Paper. And any complaints, please contact Ashley Murray. Yeah. Responsible. Yes, completely. All right. This week we're taking you to one of the coolest new places in Pittsburgh, Smallman Galley in the Strip. It's not a gallery, it's a galley. And it's a restaurant incubator that houses four chefs under one roof. Our booze writer, Celine Roberts, visited Smallman Galley twice this weekend. Yes, twice. Where the cocktails on the menu are named after rap albums and they follow the various Smallman chefs' food philosophies. Here, bartender Will Groves teaches Celine how to make a Pesanasha Pyar. First try, just kidding. Named after an Indian Desi rap album. Let's go there now. So, I had two drinks on okay. Friday. Uh, one was the Maggie's Farm rum 
with the turmeric and carrot. Yeah. That was awesome. Cool. I loved it. Good. Tell me about that. So tell me about its philosophically inspired nature. Yeah. So Jess Lewis from Corota Cafe. Her style of food is very. It, she calls it vegetable forward. So it's not vegetarian. It's not vegan. But vegetables are the center of the plate. So when we were talking with all the chefs about what drinks they wanted to see, she was like, I would love to have fresh ingredients and vegetables being the centerpiece of my cocktails. And I was like, cool. Um, so it actually led to us kind of pushing some boundaries that I've never gotten into before, like the Southern Underground, which is named after a totally awesome rap album by Cunning Linguists, has kale in it. Um, it is easily my favorite cocktail I've ever made that had kale in it. It is very singular. Um, the people who like that drink love that drink. The pe- everybody else is like, nah, there's kale in that. Um, but the Pesanasha Payar is named after an Indian rap album, and Desi rap is a huge scene. Kind of like how no one in America realizes that Bollywood makes more films and more money than Hollywood, Desi rap is huge. Um, so that drink is super carrot forward, like juicy, and kind of savory because I was trying to think about what to do with carrot, and the only applications were kind of like you highlight that earthiness a little bit. So we split it between Maggie's Farm white and spiced. The spiced, if you use all spiced, it's overwhelming. The white, all white, it's a little too simple. Um, so it's three quarters of an ounce each of white and spiced, an ounce of carrot. The Indian spice bitters that we made are pretty much everything you would put in Indian food except for garlic. So cumin, coriander, cardamom, star anise, ginger, all that. So that gives it a nice kind of savory element and brings out the earthiness of the carrots too. Well, I can tell you that you killed it on the Indian spice thing 100% because I was actually there a week ago. Oh, nice. In Mumbai, and that was why I wanted this drink. Nice, that's like, awesome. How are they actually oh, going to bring Indian spice to a drink? And you yeah, nailed yeah. it. Yeah. Let's make it. Cool. So let's start with lime juice. All right. Half an ounce. Right there. Up next. Fresh stuff. It is. So it's homemade, half an ounce again. Mm-hmm. Indian spice bitters. Mm-hmm. Four or five really solid dashes. More solid. Six. Okay. And then Three quarters each of Maggie's Farm white. Okay. And spiced. And spiced. And then an ounce of our star ingredient, the carrot juice. Alright. Gotta give that a little waft there. That is something we juice every two days. So after that, we'll just give it a shake. So if you want to grab some ice, 
Keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. No such thing as too much ice for a shake and drink. Keep on keeping on. There you go. Good doing that. You have natural. It's a developed skill. And then strain it over fresh ice. Perfection. And then the garnish, just to finish it off to bring out the Indian spice, is this is equal parts cumin and turmeric. Okay. I call it turmeric. Cute. Yeah, we know. All right, here we go. I could just keep drinking it. That's fine. Might make this interview go slightly more smoothly. Yeah, exactly. Just keep drinking it, and by the end, like, small Miguel is so great. It's the best. This is the best bar I've been in all day. All right, thanks, Celine. Be sure to catch the rap album-inspired menu this winter. In the spring, it's turning into an all-Pittsburgh Pirates menu with drinks like the Berry Bottled and the Bonded Bourbon, the Pappy Van Slyke and the Pittsburgh Kid featuring Icy Light Mango. Seems fitting. Celine Roberts here with your CP Weekend podcast. Phipps Conservatory recently opened their new Orchid and Bonsai show. This Thursday, go to see some of the most pampered plants in the greenhouse. Look for orchids from all over the world and bonsai trees that have taken decades to shape. The Pittsburgh Poetry Review hosts a night of readings on Thursday at the Brentwood Public Library. Local poets and authors will be reading their works with ample time for mingling and talking shop afterward. Paula Poundstone will be bringing her act to town this Friday night at the Carnegie of Homestead Music Hall. She's a longtime veteran of the stage, known for her ability to engage her audience and her signature suit and tie look. After years on shows like Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, Poundstone is still out there reinventing her material. Arch 8, the unorthodox dance company, comes to the August Wilson Center on Friday and Saturday nights. They'll be performing two of their works, Tetris and True North, both of which are incredibly acrobatic expressions of movement. Come witness these experiments in taking up space. If you've never been contra dancing before, now is your time to start. Swiss Home Park Community Center holds a family contra dance every fourth Friday. If you love folk music, dancing, and what amounts to a serious workout, I highly recommend attending. If you'd like a relaxing glass of wine after some vigorous dancing, drop by the Pittsburgh Winery for Songwriters in the Cellar. Hosted by area songstress Morgan Arena, who you should totally look up on SoundCloud. This is an acoustic evening of songwriters and is sure to top off a nice night out on the town. Saturday afternoon, the Pittsburgh Public Market will host a workshop on bread and honey. The host will talk about beekeeping and making the perfect loaf. Best of all, you'll get to do the sampling. Saturday night, the Pittsburgh Opera will bring Louisa May Alcott's Little Women to life on stage at the Kappa Theater. Follow the March sisters through their trials and triumphs as young women growing up in America during the Civil War. Finally, beat the cold weather blues and check out Rec Room Winter Games at Spirit in Lawrenceville on Sunday afternoon. Bring your friends, grab a pizza or a drink, and settle in for some old-fashioned fun. That's what's on my list for the weekend. For more listings, visit www.pghcitypaper.com. 
You can submit your own listing by emailing me at happenings at pghcitypaper.com. Look for us on Facebook and follow the at pghcitypaper handle on Twitter and Instagram. Okay, that's all we have for you this week. Thanks for listening to the debut episode of Pittsburgh City Paper Podcast. Be sure to check us out at www.pghcitypaper.com where we have our new blog, Politicrap. Remember that? Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at pghcitypaper. Check out Get a Little Crazy by Aubrey Nicole, which you heard on this show this week, and it's our featured MP3 Monday track. Download or stream our featured track every Monday on our Fast Forward blog. I'm Alex Gordon, and this is City Paper's Untitled Podcast. At least for now. More next week.